Verse 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. I believe that's one of the most awesome passages of Scripture in all of the Word of God. I do not know any passage of Scripture in all of the Bible that brings to my heart more concern than this passage of Scripture that I've just read. It really doesn't bother me when I read in the Bible about hell. It really doesn't bother me when I read in the Bible about adultery. It really doesn't bother me when I read in the Bible about drunkenness and revelry and witchcraft and all of the other sins that are mentioned in the Bible. But when I read about that hour when every Christian, I mean every born-again believer will be judged, that bothers me. And I believe with all of my heart that there is nothing in all of this world that would make us live a more dedicated, consecrated Spirit-filled life than to be conscious every second that we live that one day we're going to stand in the presence of God at the Bema, at the judgment seat of Christ and give an accounting of ourselves. Not of our family, not of our friends, not of our foes, but we're going to stand and give an accounting to our Heavenly Father. Now you say, preacher, do you really believe that Christians will be judged Yes, all Christians will be judged. Every believer is subject to a threefold judgment which covers his past, his present, and his future life. As a sinner, this judgment is past. All you have to do is look in John chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Amen. Then, not as a sinner, we find that we have been judged in the past. Now, as a son, this judgment is present. This is what the Bible declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 32, but when ye are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. And then as steward, as a steward, see we are judged as a sinner, we are judged as a son, and then we're going to be judged as a steward. Now this judgment is future. The Bible declares in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10 that I just read, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The moment anyone believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, at that very moment, that person is totally S-A-V-E-D. Our God does not save us in little small bits. We are a sinner one second, and the next, saints, uh, next, sinner, uh, next second, we are a saint. One moment, we are a member of the kingdom of darkness, and the next moment, we are a member of the kingdom of light. One moment we are in the family of Satan and the next moment we are in the, men, in the family of the Savior and the Sovereign God. I was converted on September the 4th, 1932 as I sat 
on the front porch of my sister's home in Greenville, South Carolina. When I walked out there on that porch and took that seat, I was a lost, condemned, doomed, damned sinner. But I want to tell you, in one split second, I became a son of God. My sins were judged at the cross. And I became a son of God. And then after I became a son of God, God appointed me as his steward. And I believe what the Bible teaches right here where it says in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I believe that. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto salvation, uh, uh, believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. No one deserves to be saved. Whether he be the President of the United States, the Queen of England, it makes no difference who that individual is. Not a one of us deserve to be saved. Not a man in this house, not a woman in this house, not a young person in this house, not a person listening to me by radio deserves this wonderful and marvelous salvation. We are saved by grace. The Bible declaring in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, under good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And then we find in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his grace, he saved us by the washing of regeneration uh, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And this wonderful salvation is bestowed upon us fully, freely, and forever. I am glad that when I went to the altar once and the Lord saved me, I can never go back to another altar or never kneel again and be saved a second time. When the Lord Jesus Christ put me in the family of God, he put me in there forever and ever and ever. This afternoon, I just tried to think for a moment what it will be in eternity with God. How wonderful it will be. I don't know what we're going to do. I have no idea, but I tell you what we're going to do throughout all eternity. But I just know we're not going to get tired nor weary by anything that goes on in the city four square. And so when the Lord saved me, he saved me fully. He saved me freely. And he saved me forever. And the Bible declares that one of these days I'm going to be lifted out of this world and translated into the next world. The Bible declares in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. But there are different kinds of Christians. First of all, there are the faithful and the unfaithful. And there is a difference. How many of you in this house are pastors? Right now, you are a pastor of some church. Raise your hand away up high. Every pastor that's present here tonight. Brother preachers, every one of you have members in your church. You don't go wondering if they'll be there on Sunday. 
And most Baptists have a certain pew in a certain place where they sit. Don Davis was mad all night last night because somebody got his seat down here. And he had to sit away back there and he said, preacher, three times I went to sleep. Three times I went to sleep while you were preaching. I said, far back, I couldn't see you and I couldn't hear you. Now, if I come to this church and I look on that fourth pew and Don is not sitting there with his arm on it and his hand up to his face, I believe I'm in the wrong church. Most of us have a certain place where we sit. Brother Brandon, I tell you, when I come here, I always see you on that front pew. I can't remember ever seeing you sit anywhere else in this church, but right there where you're sitting. And woe to the person that visits and gets in that person's pew. At the First Baptist Church in Fort Smith when I was there, we had, as many of you know, a horseshoe balcony that went all the way around our church auditorium. And we were on television. We were the first church, the first church in the state of Arkansas that ever went on radio, I mean on television, in person, right from the auditorium. Long before there was ever a PTL club. Long before, Brother, I tell you, there was ever a 700 club. Long before there was ever a Jimmy Swaggart. Long before there was ever a Jerry Falwell. The First Baptist Church was broadcasting from our auditorium our services. And I would sit on the right hand over here for the first 15 minutes of the song service. And I'd look out over that balcony, all on this side and up there. And all on this side. And Dick, I could tell who was there and who wasn't there by just glancing over those pews. Then the next 15 minutes, I'd move over on this side. And I'd examine all of this crowd and that crowd. And I remember, uh, I, I can remember those that were absent. I remember on one occasion, one of the members of our congregation, a real fine man, I met him on Garrison Avenue on Monday and he said, Preacher, I guess you missed me yesterday. I said, I sure did, Tom. I sure did miss you. Your seat was vacant and I missed you, Tom. He said, but Brother Harold, my spirit was there. Did any of you preachers ever have anybody to say to you, I wasn't there, preacher, but my spirit was there. I said, Tom, don't you send that rascal anymore. He said, what do you mean by that, preacher? I said, he stole your offering. I never have known a spirit to bring an offering. Now, I wouldn't mind so many spirits coming to my church if they just bring the offering. But now there is a difference between the man or the woman that's always faithful to God and the man that's up and down, in and out, and one that you can never really depend upon. And the Bible declares right here in Matthew 25, 21, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then I tell you, there's another group called the spiritual and the carnal. I believe that they are both saved. The Bible declares here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto brethren, but as unto carnal, even as unto, I, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. There is a difference between a baby and an adult. Babies cried almost anything. And I tell you, they get their feelings hurt. And brother, I tell you, they'll pout and cry and scream and kick. 
and display anger. But an adult, they control their emotions, spiritual and the carnal. And then they are the diligent and they are the careless. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 17, the Bible says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, what does it matter then as to the kind of Christian we really are? Does it really matter? You just read there a moment ago, Brother Harold, that all of us, every born-again believer, is going to be translated one of these days, going to be lifted out of this world. The faithful and the unfaithful believer, the spiritual and the carnal believer, the good and the bad believer, when the rapture takes place in the sounding of the trump, there is not going to be left one single saint on this earth. Every born-again Methodist, Every born-again Presbyterian, every born-again Episcopalian, every born-again Jew, every born-again Roman Catholic, every born-again Pentecostal, every born-again Baptist, whether you're free will, independent, or Southern Baptist, every born-again believer is going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The bride is going to be completed, absolutely completed. Not going to be one little fingernail left. Now, if all are going to be caught up, what difference does it make? Whether we're good or bad, whether we're spiritual or carnal, or by my dear friends, what difference does it make? It makes a tremendous difference. The Bible declares in Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I want to say to you, every word, every thought, every move, every motive, Everything that you do, good or bad, one of these days is going to face you. Yonder before the Lord when God starts handing out rewards. You're going to see those cigarettes you lit. You're going to see that tobacco you chewed. You're going to see that cancer, brother, that caused you death because of the tobacco under your lip. You're going to face again that Christian that you injured and hurt. You're going to face again that home that you broke up. You're going to face again, brother, I tell you, that dollar that you laid down at the lottery, thinking, brother, that you could get rich off of somebody else's poverty. You're going to face, brother, I tell you, every Lord's Day when you could have been at the house of God and didn't come. You're going to face every dollar that you ever stole out of God's treasure. I was holding a revival meeting for Brother J Dr. Jerry Falwell at Thomas Road Baptist Church. On Sunday morning, the last morning of the revival meeting, as many of you know, Brother Jerry does not pray before the offering. He says, I want to see if there's anything in the plates when he comes in before I pray and ask God's blessings upon him. And 
They sent out all the ushers over that great congregation. They'd passed out love offering envelopes. And Brother Jerry was taking the offering. They came down, all those ushers, those plates heaped up. And I was sitting over here on the platform. Brother Jerry said, okay, let's bow for prayer. And while I was getting down on my knees, I saw this usher right here on this part of the table reach in one of those plans and take out a whole handful of cash and envelopes and put it in his pocket. Till my dying day, I will regret that I didn't do what God first impressed me to do. Brother Brandon, if I'd have done what God told me to do that day, I'd have jumped over that platform like a frog, right on his back, threw him right down in the altar, and said, this guy's got some of my love offering in his pocket. <laughs> and as soon as Brother Jerry finished that prayer, I said, Brother Jerry, that guy going down the aisle right there stole some of that money out of the offering plate. He said, you're the second man that told me that. He said, I had Brother Oliver Green here in revival, and he told me he saw him getting some money out of that plate. When they finally made the investigation, they found that he'd gotten over $100,000 out of the plates of the Thomas Road Baptist Church. You say, oh my, ooh, ooh, my, isn't that terrible? Well, I want to ask you, is it worse to take it out of God's offering plate after it's placed in there or not to place it in when it goes by? I do not believe that that man stole any money more than you steal when you rob God of his tithe. So as we look here in the word of God, we find that we're going to face that one of these days. And the word says right here, uh, listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a what? Somebody tell me. A reward. I want my reward to be full. I may not be able to have as much as you have, Brother Bill. I may not be able to have as much as Brother Robbins. I may not have as much, Brother Itrilli, as uh, uh, Brother Raleigh as you may have. I may not have as much as Brother Brandon, but I'm determined by the grace of God to get all that God ever intended for J. Harold Smith to have. You know, we make bad investments and we live to see them. But I tell you, I don't want to go through all eternity regretting that I missed one of God's great opportunities to lay up for me a reward. The Bible says that we shall receive a reward or suffer what? Somebody tell me. L-O-S-S. I wonder how many in this great congregation that's here in Fairview Baptist Church tonight. I wonder if you were to die tonight, how many of you would suffer loss? I wonder how many out there in that cemetery right across the street have already found out that one of these days when they're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, they're going to suffer loss. Not the loss of their soul, but the loss of reward.
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Now I tell you, these people that say that if you don't work and if you don't do this, if you don't do that, you're going to go to hell. You're going to be lost there. That's not true. That's not true. But I tell you, you're going to lose, not your soul. That's been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ye are no longer your own. I do not have a soul to lose. How can I lose something I don't possess? How can I lose something that's already in the safety deposit box of heaven? How can I ever lose anything, brother, I tell you, that's been inscribed with a nail in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can I ever lose anything that's been sealed by the blessed Holy Ghost? How can I ever lose anything that's been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? I tell you, before the devil could get me, he would have to break the grip of God. Before the devil could ever get me, he'd have to erase that inscription of my name in the palm of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before the devil could ever get me, he'd have to break the seal of the Holy Ghost. And then, brother, before the devil could ever get me, he'd have to get under the blood. And if it were possible for the devil to get under the blood, he wouldn't want me. So I tell you, I'm safe forevermore. And don't you ever let anybody tell you that you can be saved today, lost tomorrow, saved again the next day, and baptized another time and be redeemed. I'd like to ask Jimmy Swaggart just one time. Jimmy, how many times have you been saved? Did you get saved and then preach? And then go to New Orleans and see a woman and get lost? And did you get saved coming home? Or when did you get saved the second time, Jimmy? All of that is false doctrine. And brother, I want to tell you as sure as I'm on this platform. If you are ever redeemed by the blood, it's a settled matter. And the devil knows it. God knows it. The holy angels know it. And you know it. Now you say, well, if that's true, then, Brother Harold, I'll just live like I want to live. No, I tell you, if you're a sheep of God, you'll live like a sheep. If you never have been born again and still a dog, you'll still return to your vomit. And brother, I tell you, if you're a swine, you'll still return to your wallet in the mire. But I tell you, if you're a sheep, you'll live like a sheep. And brother, I want to tell you something. You'll hear the voice of God and the voice of the shepherd and you will not listen to the voice of our hireling. And you will not be deceived by all of these false prophets. You will not be deceived, brother, by all of these voices that you hear on radio and all of these voices and all of these faces that you see on television. I want to tell you, there's some of those television preachers. I mean, just to look at them, just to look at them is repulsive to me. You can identify them the minute you see them as homosexuals. You can identify them if you've got the spirit of God in you as a, as a hireling, as a false prophet. And you will not follow one of them. Look to yourselves, the Bible says, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. I believe it's possible. I believe, this, I believe this would be possible. I believe I could lose everything that I've worked for for 59 years. I believe I could lose it. All of my reward. It's possible to lose your reward. 
but not your soul. Oh, I want to tell you what. I am determined by the grace of God to hear the Lord say when I stand before him, J. Harold, yes, Father, you're going to get a full reward. <laughs> and, and I tell you, I don't care whether that includes, brother, a long white robe. I'm, I never have been too anxious about a white robe, no way. And brother Jimmy, I never have got excited, brother, I tell you, with them silver slippers on golden streets. <laughs> Can you imagine how uncomfortable it would be to go throughout all eternity wearing silver slippers? And trying to walk on golden streets, that'd be a problem. Uh, now you say, preacher, does it make any difference what kind of Christians we are? It makes a tremendous difference. No believer, listen, no believer will ever be judged for their sins. For the sins of the believer has already been judged and punished in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. But every believer will be judged concerning his life and his service. When we appear at the judgment seat of Christ we shall appear as we really are. Now I'm going to make a statement and if any of you get mad enough to walk out help yourself. And if any of you are listening on radio and I make this statement and you get some ads, you want to turn off the radio, help yourself. Here's a statement. Not a man or a woman or a boy or girl in this auditorium or under the sound of my voice is as good as you pretend to be. Now you say, I just resent that. You know if you were going to have the preacher out to lunch tomorrow at your house. You had some little kids, you'd serve notice on them. That preacher and that evangelist is going to be here tomorrow and you kids better behave. And if you don't, it's going to be too bad when they leave. I was visiting in a home for lunch and the pastor and I arrived there at that house about 50 minutes before noon and the young lady and her husband, they had one little daughter, four years old. And I learned later that she had an IQ of an eighth grader. I don't mean eight-year-old, but an eighth grader. She was one of the smartest little four-year-old girls I've ever met in my life. And the lady and her husband met us at the door and said, Well, you're a little early and we'll have lunch in about ten minutes. And little Ann will entertain you while we finish and put the finishing touches on the lunch. And the pastor and I walked into the living room and we had more got sat down than little Ann came in with a deck of playing cards. And she said, you want to play some cards? I said, yeah, but I said, I don't have a deck. She said, if you'll help me pull out the piano, I said, there's a lots of them over behind the piano. And I went over, pulled it out. And there were four or five tables and there must have been 20 or 25 decks of cards back there. I got me a deck and I got the preacher a deck. And I handed them to him. He said, I'm not going to touch them. They're the devil. The land sat down on the, on the settee and she fluttered them out just like that. I sat on the other end, fluttered mine out just like that. And about the time the lady came and said, oh, oh, where in the world did you get those cards? I said, run over behind the piano. There's a lot of them over there. 
I want to tell you tonight, if the preacher was coming to your house, would you let him look in your refrigerator? Do you have a package of six-pack beer there? I want to ask you, would you turn around some of the pictures on the wall in your home? I want to ask you, if the preacher came, would you just sit down and gobble up your food without asking the blessing? If the preacher was there, would you go to bed without having prayer? I want to say to you, not a one of us in this house is as good as we pretend to be. Why you come down here to church on Sunday morning and you walk down this aisle and every woman in this house wishes she'd have married you instead of the old vulture that you did get. And I tell you, brother, some of you ladies come down and you're so sweet and gracious and kind and so lovely. And every man here, brother, I tell you, wishes you'd have married you instead of the old hag that he did get. Now, am I telling the truth? Down inside what you are is what you're going to face at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so I'm going to tell you, what you are in your heart is what you're going to face at the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, every last one of us. There's going to be no veneer. You're not going to hoodwink God and you're not going to deceive him. And how embarrassing that's going to be for some. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This verse literally actually translated means we must all be manifested without disguise as we stand in the presence of God. You're not going to wear any false faces when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. How cometh this man in hither having not on the wedding garment? In Acts chapter 5 and verse 10 we are told the story, the sad story of two uh, church members, a husband and a wife. The word says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being private to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came upon all them that heard these things. A few hours later, his wife came in, and her fate was the same. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible speaks of a fire, a strange fire. It says that that fire is going to be at the Bema judgment of God. In 1 Corinthians 3.13, every man's work shall be made manifest, 
For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. F-I-R-E. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, we are told that the one thing which counts before God is reality. And that the judgment seat of Christ, he will make manifest our motives. And according to those motives, he will reward us. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who, hath, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. When we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we shall have to give an account of ourselves and of our stewardship, our service. Romans 14, 12. So then every man of us shall give an account of himself to God. There are no exceptions. Paul says, every one of us. Brother Brandon, I start over here with you and go right down that line with those precious men. Brother Dick Smith, Brother Joe, go right down that line with you, back on that next line. Till I've come over here to Robert and then up to me. And every last one of us that are saved going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As sure as I'm on this platform, one day I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And God's going to say, where were you on the, on, on the 26th day of April, 1991? I want to say I was at Fairview Baptist Church. What did you preach about? I preached about the Bema. I preached about the judgment seat of Christ. Did you tell everybody there that's saved that they're going to stand before me one day? Sure did. Then God's going to call, call the roll of everybody present here tonight. Were you on the radio? Yes, I was. And then God's going to call the roll of all of you that heard us on the radio. And every born-again believer is going to stand there and God's going to say, you're without excuse. My servant warned you and told you that you would have to give an account of every good thing and every bad thing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto uh, under him. For, for them, and, and the Bible says that we are going to stand in the presence of that wonderful and marvelous God and give an accounting of all of it because he died for us. How we have used our time, we'll have to answer. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me. What it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I'm going to have to give account not only of my time, but of my treasure. The money that God's given me. The possessions. The property. In Matthew 6.19, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust uh, doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also 
You know there's some of you sitting here before me tonight. You're concerned about your investment. I know a man that one night when he went to bed was worth four million dollars. The next morning when he woke up, he was informed that he was bankrupt. Bankrupt. I'm glad that my treasure is where no thief can get it. Amen. Where no moth can devour it and where no rust can consume it. I want to tell you, you may break in my house, but if you're expecting to get much, you're going to be disappointed. Did any of you ever live in a house where they have a little string, have a string hanging down right in the middle of the room and that was the only light, brother, there? Didn't have no switch over on the wall. My wife will tell you I used to keep all of the shoe strings in my shoes. You know, somehow or another, on every pair of shoe laces that I get, one of them will wear out and the other one look like it's new. I, don't under, I never have understood that. So I always kept those new and used laces from a light strings. One night, Bruce woke me up and said, Harold, is somebody in the next room? I said, why'd you wake me up? <laughs> I didn't have a pistol. I didn't have a knife. I didn't have nothing. And I got up trying to find that string. <laughs> Couldn't find it and I could see his flashlight in the next room, you know, and I just thought, walked over the door and I said, old buddy, what you looking for? He said, money. Do that light around on me? And I said, well, it's awfully cold up here. If you'll just wait till I get my bathrobe on, if there's any of that stuff in this house, I'll help you look for it. <laughs> and he is gone. <laughs> now, you know... You, you know, <laughs> I tell you what, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? God, one of these days, is going to reveal it. Some of you got it in fruit jars. Some of you got it hid, brother, I tell you, behind pictures in your home. Some of you got it under the carpet in your, in your living room. Some of you, brother, I tell you, got it buried out in the backyard. Did y'all hear about the fellow brother I tell you that had four fruit jars buried in his backyard? And he, brother, he had $25,000 in each one of those in $100 bills. And one day he decided to dig up, brother I tell you, one of those jars, see how his fortune is coming along. It all changed into just green dust. Some kind of moth or fungus or something had gotten in there. He dug up the third, first, second one, and it was nothing but dust. Dug up the third one, and it was the same way. Dug up the fourth one. He got those four jars, went to Washington, D.C., to the Treasury Department, and said, say, I had $100,000 in these jars. They said, we can't, you can't prove it by us. Lost everything he had. Putting it in his backyard in a fruit jar. Going home tonight, and you pass some deacon's house, and you see him in the backyard and his wife holding a flashlight. He's looking at, see how his fortune's getting along <laughs> your fortune where are your possessions some of you have more invested in antique furniture than you have in heaven some of you have more invested in your automobile than you have in heaven 
Some of you have more invested in your farm and in your home than you have in heaven. And when you die, your kids and your uncles and aunts and nephews and nieces, well, they're going to fight for it and lawyers are going to get it. I want to tell you, where is your fortune? Where is your treasure? And then the Bible says we're going to be judged as to our efforts to reach the lost. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciousness. If you really know and realize the terror of the Lord, and how awesome it's going to be for a lost man to fall into the hands of an angry God, you're going to do your dead level best to win that person to Jesus Christ. I hope. If the Lord tarries and he can spare my life, that one day I can reach the whole earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our programs now cover a land area, according to our advertising agency, of 3,300,000,000 people. But there's 200 and one billion, 100 billion million out there that I am not reaching. Brother Jimmy, I thank God that for the last three years, seven days a week, every morning at 10 o'clock, I preach to all of Israel, all of, some, all of Syria, all of Iraq, all of Jordan, all of Saudi Arabia, and all of that country where our boys have so nobly fought and won one of the greatest victories that America has ever won. And God has given me the privilege and only yesterday I learned of the possibility that I may be able to go on a satellite, a satellite by radio, not television, but by radio, that that will bring that message that I preach to all of North, all of South America, and all of Canada. And you can tune in on your television set and pick it up if we are able to get on that tremendous network. Pray for us that we may be able to do it. Then we're going to be accountable, and God's going to call us accountable for our faithfulness in prayer. The Bible says in Luke 8, 18 and 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then the Bible says we're going to give an account of all of the words that we speak. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word. All that gossip. Huh. <laughs> How many of you can remember when they had party lines on telephone? Anybody, did, did any of you ever have a party line? Yes. I was, I was, it was right here in the state of South Carolina. And I was staying in a home and I was going to make a call. And they had the telephone in a little old box up on the wall and I went over there, picked up the receiver, put it to my ear and was just ready to turn that little old handle and, and, and ring the operator when I heard this lady on the other end of the line say, were you at church last night? 
And the other lady said, no, said we were dressed, ready to go, and we had some company to come in, and we were not able to go. The company stayed so late, we were not able to go. And this other lady said, I was there, and that J. Harold Smith made me so mad, I just started to get up at the close of the service, walk down there, and slap his smart aleck face. <laughs> and I just came on, and I said, uh, dear lady, that's God's man. And you better be careful what you say about him. That's God's man. And I just eased that receiver back on the hook. That night, sitting right where Brother Earl was sitting was a little lady. When I saw her, I thought, Brother, she must have AIDS. I never saw a woman so pale and pitiful. And I preached. And when I gave the invitation, she ran down the aisle and she said, Oh, Preacher Smith, I want you to forgive me. I want you to forgive. I said, Lady, I don't even know you. What in the world have you ever done to me? What have you ever done to me that, want me, that you want me to forgive you? She said, said, I was talking on the telephone this morning. And said, I was telling the lady, my neighbor, that last night you made me so mad, I just started to come down and slap your face at the end of the service in a voice. She said, a voice from heaven came on the line and said, that's God's man. You better be careful what you say about him. That's God's man. I said, oh, no, you just imagine that. She said, no, no, the other lady heard it too. <laughs> and I tell you, until this very day, Pastor, I never have told her it was me. But I tell you, God says he's, you're going to have to give an account of every idle word. All that gossip. All that thing that you said about somebody that you wouldn't say to their face. You're going to have to give an account of it. Every idle word. All of those curse words. All of those fusses you and your wife had all recorded. Whole world's going to hear it. Won't that be wonderful? God says every move you make, every thought you have, going to be recorded. <laughs> now, some of you say, well, it don't bother me. How many of you like to have everything that you've thought about the last 24 hours recorded and shown here tonight? If I'd have stepped up here and said, folks, I've just got this little camera from NASA. And this little camera is the most wonderful, marvelous thing that's ever been invented. It's a little camera. And it takes a picture. And I'm going to take a picture of all of you. And somebody say, hold it a minute, brother. I'd say, you spit on your finger and get your eyebrows in shape. Brother, I'd say, you got out your comb and comb your hair. I said, no, no, just leave all them physical features like they are. Don't straighten up your tie. Don't dress, straighten up your dress. This takes a picture of every thought that you have had for the last 30 days. Every thought. And it's immediate development. It's Polaroid. Now, who will volunteer? They come up. Let us take a picture of every thought you've had for the last 30 days and then put it up here on the screen. You say, I wouldn't mind. You're either a nut or a liar. <laughs> but God says one of these days, our very thoughts, every word, what a thing that's going to be. Romans 12, 10. 
Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. So our attitude toward our brother is going to come up at the bema. I know I passed from death into life. I know it. You know the greatest evidence I have of it? I love the brethren. I love the brethren. Romans, uh, Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Brother, I want to tell you, wouldn't that be a difference in our church if that attitude was there? But we hear something, we spread it around, and we kick the felt brother and shove him down a little more instead of loving him, helping him up, encouraging him. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Our works, all of them, will appear. My time is up by 20 minutes. But I just want to say one other thing. When we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, everything that is worthless and empty will be burned up and all that can stand the test of fire will survive. We build out of only six materials. The word of God declares here in 1 Corinthians 3, 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, that foundation is Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is the fire. Six materials. Gold, silver, precious stones. All three non-combustible. All three precious. All three can only be made by God Almighty. No man can ever make real gold. No man can ever make real silver. No man can ever make a real diamond. They look like diamonds. They sparkle like diamonds. But put the machine you've got done on them and it won't register. Every person under the sound of my voice is building out of gold, silver, precious stone. Are you building out of wood, hay, stubble? All three of them combustible. All three of them cheap. And all three of them can be created by a man. I close this message by telling you a little incident that happened in my life. I had just been preaching a few years when my wonderful grandfather Smith was stricken with a heart attack in my dad's home in Woodruff, South Carolina. I was there that morning when grandpa had that fatal heart attack. In that day we didn't have any heart mobiles. 
In that day, we didn't know anything about oxygen. In that day, we did not have any intensive care sections. In those days, Jamie, we didn't know anything about the bypasses like you have had and how that we can spare a man's life for many years by our tremendous surgery and our wonderful doctors. My grandfather was dying. And he called for my father to come in. And I do not know what he said to my dad because my dad was the oldest son. Then he called for my Uncle Will to come in, the next oldest. Then he called for Uncle John to come in, his baby boy. Then he called for Aunt May, his only daughter. And I do not know what he said to any of them. My grandfather was Irish. I never heard him say, my hat, my car, my home. It was always me hat, me car, me home. Everybody else called me Harold or J. Harold. But from the day I was born, my grandfather was the first, I was the first grandson. And for a long time, the only one in the family. And my grandfather never called me anything. I can never remember him calling me anything else but me boy. And he said, I want to see me boy. And I went in where my grandfather was lying on that bed, dying. 20 minutes after what I'm going to tell you, he was in heaven. And I never heard anybody could say Jesus like my grandfather. And he said, me boy, I'm going to go to be with Jesus in just a little bit. And I said, no, grandpa, you're not going to die. Yes. Yes, he said, I am. The day of my death has arrived. And he said, if I've ever had any power with God, me boy, I want you to bow down here by the side of this bed. And I want to lay my hand on you. And I want to ask God to let that power that I've ever had with God fall upon me boy. And I bowed down there by the side of grandpa. I was crying and his breath was so short he just could say a word or two and then he'd stop. And then he'd say another word and stop. And finally he finished. And I stood up. And I was wiping the tears out of my eyes and my grandfather said this to me. He said to me, boy, I don't know whether we're going to have jobs when we get to heaven or not. But he said if we do, I'm going to ask Jesus to let me work on the boy's mansion. And he said, will you make me a promise? And I said, yes, Grandpa, what is it? He said, will you promise me that you'll send me up some material every day? And I said, Grandpa, I promise. And then he said, one more thing, me boy. Will you promise to make it First class. Brother Price, you're a contractor. And you know there's a difference between first class material and just seconds. And I've tried for 59 years. Every day. Every day. To send up something and make it first class. And I want to urge you, every one of you, all of us, for what time we have left. Brother preachers, you young men that have surrendered to preach the gospel, don't ever let the devil sidetrack you. If Jesus Christ tarries, study, prepare, 
I tell you, get ready to preach. Study the word of God. Amen. Don't waste a second. I'll soon be 81 years old. My wife is sitting here. Miss Davis is sitting here. Robert's sitting here. And they'll tell you that from five to six hours a day, I stay with the word of God, studying this message that I preach you tonight just didn't come into my mind. I sat there and prayed, wrote, studied, turned, brother, I tell you to try to find the scriptures. And I want to send up some first class material so that when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, not a thing will be burned. One lady said, I've never heard you preach a sermon when you didn't mention the blood. I wrote her back and I said, ma'am, that's the greatest letter of compliment I ever received. I believe everything that we do that's wrapped up in the blood will stand the fire test when we stand at the bema. Thank God for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank God for the precious promise that we can be rewarded, a full reward. Don't miss it. Please don't miss it. May we pray. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, how many in this house, and I want everybody, I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to raise my head, I'm, I'm going to keep my eyes closed. And I want everybody, please, to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not going to even open mine. And how many of you here tonight would say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a member of the family of God. I know my name is written on the Lamb's Book of Life. I know that I'm never going to go to hell. I know that one day I'm going to go to heaven. I know it. I know it. I know it. If that's true, I want you to raise your hand up as high as you can lift it with me. Lord, hold him. Hold it. Lord, take a picture. Please, Lord, take a picture right now of every one of us that's got our hands up. I don't see them. I don't know them. I don't know who, have their, who has their hand up and who doesn't. But Lord, take a picture of us. Put in our file. And keep it until we stand at the bema. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. Now, how many of you say, preacher, I put up my hand. I'm saved. But Brother Harold, I haven't been faithful. I haven't been getting all the reward that I could get. And Brother Smith, I know that I am not going to receive a full reward when I stand before God if I don't change some of my ways. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm saved. But Brother Smith, if I don't change some of my ways, I'm not going to have a full reward when I get to heaven. And I want to get up out of this seat and walk down there to that front and stand facing you and let you have a closing prayer with me here tonight. 
that I'll walk out of this building and from this day on, I will attempt by the grace of God to gain a full reward when I stand before God. Now, it's going to take courage. I'm not just talking to Fairview Baptist Church. I'm talking about everybody under the sound of my voice. Deacons, Sunday school teachers, preachers, preachers' wives, whoever you young people, whoever you are. How many of you just get right up out of that seat and come down and say, Preacher, I know if I were to die tonight that I would not be facing God with a full reward. And I want to get up and come and say, God, I'm, from this night on, that's going to be my goal. When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I'll have a full reward. Will you just get up out of that seat and come and stand? Don't kneel. Come and stand right here before me. Just get up and come on right now. No begging, no pleading, no ple singing, no, 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 it, no music. Just come. Come up as close as you can come right here to the front. Young, old, deacons, Sunday school teachers, whoever you may be, just come right up here and stand. Pastor, do you believe that every member of your church that could have been here some night and wasn't here will have to give an account to God for it? I know that some of the members of Fairview Baptist Church were working. They couldn't come. Some of them were old and couldn't drive and they couldn't come. Some of them were sick and couldn't come to this revival meeting. I know that. But some of you, this is the first night you've been here. You could have been here other nights, but you didn't come. I want to tell you something. You're saved, but you're going to miss your reward. If you missed one of these services, listen to me. If you missed one of these services for some pleasure or some profit, or you missed one of these services for some little old foolish idea, just wanted to see television, or had some little old quirk in your mind that you didn't want to come to the house of God, you're going to stand before God one of these days, and you're going to be embarrassed. And God is going to take away from you that reward. I'm telling you the truth. I don't care whether you're a preacher, preacher's wife, deacon, deacon's wife, Sunday school teacher, whatever. If you could have been here and you were not sick and you were not working and you were not providentially hindered and you just laid out, God is going to hold you responsible and it's going to be sad and embarrassing when that hour comes. Anybody else, the last time I asked, it'll get up and say, preacher, I know I know that I'm not doing all that God wants me to do. I know, preacher, that I'm not going to get a full reward if I keep on living like I'm living. If I keep on looking at television more than I pray, if I keep on watching them old soap operas, if I keep on, preacher, laying out a church just when I don't feel like it and whenever little, every little quirk comes along, every little excuse I have, I lay out a church. I'm not interested, brother, I tell you, on Sunday night. I'm not interested in prayer meeting night. I'm not interested in joining the choir. I'm not interested in serving God. Now, wait a minute. If that's true, and you're sitting there, you're going to find one of these days, you're going to be saved, but you're going to suffer 
L-O-S-S. Last time I asked anybody else to get up out of that seat and come, I really feel that half of this congregation, if you'd obeyed God tonight, young and old, would have gotten up out of this seat and come. I want to stand here with the rest of you. I want to be one of you. I mean this from my heart. I know, preacher, I don't have much longer. And I tell you, as I look at my life, I can see areas where I could better do this or that or serve him better. I see a lot of times idle words, lost time. But I want to stand here with you tonight and say that by the grace of God, whatever I have left, Lord, may I get a full reward. How many of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved? No question. Anybody in this group that came that has any doubt about it? Is anybody in this house that will say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved and I want to be saved? Would you get up out of that seat and come? Or if you know that you're lost, would you get up out of that seat and just walk down here with these others and say, Preacher, I know I'm not saved. I know I'm a sinner and I don't want to go to hell, Preacher. Would you just get up and come down this aisle? Our Father, I pray for all of us that are standing in this altar. I really believe, Lord, that there's a hundred other people out there. If they'd obeyed you tonight, and if they'd have really gotten the message that I preached, Lord, I believe they'd be standing here with us. But Lord, it just seems that the devil steals away the seed as fast as we sow them. And it seems, Lord, that the devil stops up our ears. And we do not apply the message to our own heart. But we are thinking about somebody else and what they need and how they are getting it. And Lord, it passes us by. And God, we have come to the place where we are so religious. And we think that that's going to get us by when we stand at the bema. And God, we're going to find that all of our religion is a coat that is filled with moth holes and filthiness and will be cast aside and burned at the fire of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Lord, here we are standing, this group. And I pray, Lord, that we go out of this house tonight that every last one of them will have the power of God to come upon them and the anointing of the Spirit of God to make their lives different. May their pastor see it. May their husband or their wife see it. May their dad or their mother see it. May the teacher in the school see it. Lord, may the community see it. May the church see it. They see the difference in our anxiety and desire to get a full reward. Now, Lord, we've preached our last sermon in this revival. We've done our best. I pray, God, that you'll deliver me and free me from the burden I've been under since last Sunday morning. And God, may we have done the job you sent us here to do 
And may we have pleased you, Lord, with what we have done. And we give you the thanks and the praise and the honor and the glory for all that's been accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you standing and say, Preacher, God be in my helper. I'm going out of here tonight. And I'm determined to gain a full reward. Raise your hand. Thank God. How many of you sitting out there will say, Preacher, I'm going to leave here tonight more determined than I've ever been to see to it that I will not be embarrassed when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Would you raise your hand? Thank the Lord. May we all stand.